0: and welcome back to another episode of Artist Avenue. Today I am talking to the wonderful Katerina Kastening. Katerina is a freelance stage director and currently works as a staff director at OPA Frankfurt. Born in London, she completed a bachelor's degree in theater studies at the Royal Holloway University of London, followed by a master's degree in text and performance at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Over the years, her career has allowed her to stage many renowned operas in various countries such as the UK, Austria, Germany and even the United Arab Emirates. Before we dive into Caterina's beautifully unique journey, I would like to remind you that due to the current circumstances, we had to record this episode remotely via Zoom. Therefore, the quality might suffer at points. Nevertheless, please keep listening. I always say for a 2021 podcast, it's content over technical quality. Lastly, kindly note that this episode was recorded back in January. Therefore, any COVID regulations discussed in this episode are currently not up to date as the measures have become stricter again. So without further ado, enjoy this glorious episode. Hey, Katarina, welcome to our Avenue. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Why don't we start with a quick introduction? Tell us a bit about who you are and what you do.
1: Okay, so my name is Katerina Kassening. I am a freelance director and I currently also work as a staff director at Frankfurt in Germany. I speak German and English mother tongue, French and Italian to a working knowledge. (laughs) Um, And I have just started learning Russian. That's a total beginner from zero. (laughs) Hoping to be able to understand it somehow
0: that's incredible though like all the languages how come you're learning Russian
1: I work predominantly in opera um, and the main opera languages are German French Italian and then a lot of Russian sometimes English but really the, the main the top four are German French Italian and Russian
0: it's fantastic that languages kind of like are so incorporated in the directing world and like essentially a yeah. theatre world and opera world.
1: I mean that's also where like a dramaturg really comes in handy, especially if you have like a dramaturg who speaks the foreign language that you do not speak, um, or just someone who spent enough time, you know, a lot of t- or spends all of their time researching every little bit. It's really helpful to uh, have dramaturgs, also like language coaches that can point out things to you.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> Do you want to take us back to your once upon a time, the beginning of your journey?
1: There was no real point that I would say was like the start to my career in the arts. I think it was quite clear from a young age that this is this is my industry, like this is where I need to remain forever. When I was younger I thought or believed I wanted to be a performer. I literally took part in any play, any musical, choirs, everything that was possible. And when, once I started thinking about the future and where am I going to study and what am I going to study and blah, 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 to me, it was clear that I wanted to study acting, but at the same time, there was always something that felt like I didn't, I wasn't 100% sure that acting was the one for me so i only applied to central went to do my central audition was obviously petrified and kind of felt really out of place yeah i don't know i just it didn't work for me it was it was fine it was a fine day you know everything all the monologues and song and everything went totally fine i was really happy with that but i kind of came out of it thinking oh i don't i just don't feel that that was 100% what I was hoping it to be, as in the way that I felt when I was there. And um, <laughs> I ended up going to Ro Holloway. in uh, It's part of the University of London in Surrey. Yeah, and it wasn't until university that it really clicked that I want to direct. Um, I signed up to lots of auditions because at the beginning I was like, yes, I still want to be a performer, which Like major respect to any first year that shows up. I mean, auditions are like what? In the first week of term, you show up, you don't know anyone. You've just made friends with someone you've known for like two days. And then you're like, yeah, I'm going to go audition in front of all of these people that I don't know. (laughs) So I showed up to one audition. Yeah, I was absolutely petrified. And I don't know, it's just a very scary environment. So I showed up, was really scared. was like, no. I cannot do this. I, I'm just going to go home and I'll just I'll, I'll audition like next term when I feel a little bit more comfortable in this new atmosphere. As I was leaving, though, they were announcing that if you wanted to sign up to shadow a role, so like shadow the stage manager, the uh, director, the producer, then you could do that. So I thought, oh, that's a good way of like getting to know the lay of the land, getting to understand how these productions work, who the people are and kind of you know. So Mm -hmm. I ended up signing up to be the shadow director, I was then chosen so that's very exciting and it was basically my first assistant director job is what you could basically call it. Honestly like from the first rehearsal I was like this is it, (laughs) I found it, this is what I want to do, I don't know I just felt so comfortable I had just found what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Sounds very like fairy tale, like, oh. Ah, <laughs> but really, it was like, I found it. It's amazing. So from that point, I honestly I tried to direct as much as I could. So yeah, I always put myself kind of or try to put myself in kind of directing roles or creator, things like that. And um, so that's really kind of where I trained my brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I
0: I think it's really exciting that you were like going in as a performer first and I think it's really important that you went to those auditions with Central and everything because absolutely I always say you need to actually try out the audition before choosing yeah. your school or choosing if it is for you or not
1: hundred like, percent.
0: I think people underestimate how much an audition tells you
1: oh my gosh absolutely I mean even the exercises they choose
0: mm. I think
1: tell you a lot about the place yeah and I just knew the exercise I was like it's not for me it's not for me exactly because like you're in it for like three years
0: if you do sign up so and it's great that you just explore different options and then by chance you just took that chance like if you hadn't like left at that time and heard that announcement you would never have known so it's such a beautiful story and I think it's really great that you say that directors also need to like nurture their actor
1: side as well I think a lot of people wouldn't put that together that makes sense. I think it's really important. I mean, also now, years on, no, I'm not that, old, but you know, <laughs> in the experiences I've had now, I've really also observing other directors as an assistant director, it's just becoming very clear to me how important it is that you yourself know how one would express the feeling or the thought that you are asking your performer to do. Sounds very simple, but it's really interesting how some people will be like, Well, you're sad, so just act it. Or you have people who are really detailed, who will be like, um, who, Who will kind of act out what they want to see from you. So I've kind of taken from both of those ideas, basically, or both of those strategies, where my strategy is now very much first allowing the performer to explore themselves what they believe that their character would. portraying in that moment but if i'm not seeing something that i think is truthful or works because sometimes people uh, obviously like sometimes people end up portraying something that isn't quite right or you kind of imagine differently then i kind of intervene a little bit and show how i would for example act it that doesn't mean that they then have to mimic exactly what i have just done but it just kind of redirects them a little bit and into a different understanding of the character, or the emotion, or the thought. I think it's really important that that process is very collaborative. I think for me, when I was still performing, I felt very trapped sometimes in the ideas of someone else that I don't understand. So, I mean, not always. Obviously, there was some good, good, there was good direction going on. But sometimes, you know, I don't know. I'm sure everyone, everyone who's performed at some point in their lives will have experienced a situation where you're you're acting something because that the director is telling you to but it's not what you feel is true Mm -hmm. so that's why for me it's really important that that process between director and performer is very collaborative because I think it's so beautiful at the end when you actually have a show together that you really see true performances because then Mm -hmm. you're going to be emotionally moved you're not going to be moved if you see someone walking around doing the movements but doesn't really care or doesn't doesn't really feel it. I, th- I think you can try as hard as you want as a performer to portray something that you don't believe in, but at the same time, there's still gonna be something in you that doesn't believe in it. So that's gonna hold back your performance, even if it's just ever so slightly. I think there's a barrier that you need to break um, in order to become that character. Do
0: you, cause you obviously sit in audition rooms, I'm assuming as well. Do you see that then if an actor is like not really in it, but do you then actually, can you think about and be like, yes, I can work with them and find it with them?
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I have sat on audition panels before and, you know, I think it t- it takes time as well for a performer to take on a character, especially, let's say, at an audition for a specific piece that the actor does not know. So I, I directed a-, a piece, a new writing piece in London. You know for the auditions there we had just sent out monologues or part or, or partner scenes obviously they had never heard of this play before because it's totally new so obviously i wasn't expecting you know someone to walk in and be that character but uh, but you can identify from auditions who you can work with who is maybe a little bit experimental or comes in with a new take or or maybe even shows you something that you hadn't thought before. That's always really exciting when you have an idea. And then you have a performer that comes and just opens something completely new up for you. That's always super exciting. But yeah, no, I, I don't think it's important that people come to auditions being the absolute most perfect thing ever. It's far more important in auditions to see how the person work, So you want to try and give input or suggestions or maybe give them a different direction or switch with other people, just see how they work with different people, see how they work according to what you've just told them. That's much more, uh, uh, auditions for me are much more about predicting what the work atmosphere will be like. Mm-hmm. I think that's important.
0: And how did your journey evolve after graduating? Were there any ups and downs in how did it go about?
1: <laughs> so after my bachelor's degree, I did a master's degree um, in directing at RADA. It was called MA Text and Performance. And you could choose like a specializing, like a specialist route, either directing or playwriting. So I did directing, but the course kind of ge- gave you a little bit of everything. That I mean, directing courses in general vary a lot. You, you have to try and find a course that suits you. Um, Some offer more practical aspects, some offer more theoretical. um, And I chose one that kind of offered both. It was a it was a very colorful mixture of acting, directing, playwriting, philosophy, dramaturgy. That may not be, it might not be the right structure for everyone. Um, I, I really wanted a course that kind of showed me and allowed me to experience the different aspects involved in the arts industry. Because I think that's really quite important as a director that you kind of have an overall understanding of how the industry works or how different parts of a creative team work or even how you can start writing a play. Mm -hmm. Playwriting, definitely not for me, but (laughs) (laughs) directing, yes. Yeah, so when I had graduated, I loved the course, but, and I, I was given, you know, you're given so many opportunities to develop your own work and it's really, exciting it's a really exciting time because you're finally able to focus on a specific let's say niche or whatever that that of the industry that you have chosen but at the same time after graduating it's still scary you still don't know what is right and wrong I mean you won't know what's right and wrong until you actually just show up and 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 do a job Mm -hmm. for example an assistant director job you you won't learn how to become a director just through a course you have to go out and gain experience you have to learn how to direct by yourself you know no one can really teach you what is right or wrong in directing I don't think there is a right or wrong specifically obviously you know you shouldn't be violent or something but you know there's no rule book that I don't know has 10 rules and that's how you become a director that's that's not you know it's it's very personal you have to find that for yourself you know courses provide you with tools knowledge ideas but you then they're all worthless in a way if you haven't gone out and tried and tested them each director is different just as you know each person is different and for me I always thought that was kind of clear but once I graduated. And really started working because you know you graduate and you've, which is not a bad thing, but you've been built up to believe that you can conquer anything and you're fantastic and whatever. Um, and you go out into the real world and you're like, yes, real world, I'm here, I'm you know the next director, da da, and you pro- you fall flat on your face because obviously there's thousands of people out there doing the same job as you. And you kind of have to start from square one in a way. You're kind of equipped with these tools and this knowledge, but you actually have to go out and use it. That's a little bit scary.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Could you take us through a day in the life of a director from the beginning to the end?
1: Okay. Director is very... mm, it varies a lot. I mean, also working as a staff director varies a lot, but it's a little bit more, there's a little bit more structure in the chaos. But um, yeah, in as a director, I mean, it kind of depends on what you're doing. If you're preparing for a show and for example, you aren't rehearsing at the time and you're just preparing for the future production. I've usually worked from home. Sometimes I just need to take my take myself away from this wonderful, cozy space and go to my office. I try to keep a daily routine with set hours and a set of goals in order to kind of put a little bit of pressure on myself but at the same time to also ensure that I don't overload because otherwise I'm someone who's like oh my gosh I haven't done I haven't done this I I have to finish this today and if I don't finish it today the day's ruined so what I try to do is I have sorry I have a notebook and I'll get up in the morning I usually get up I don't know quite early try to do some sort of workout and then I'll sit down and write down my goals of the day. Mm -hmm. If I'm working directly on a score, what I do first is kind of go through the entire thing, listen to it once. Whilst I'm listening to it, if I have any ideas, sometimes I listen to things and I just see how people would move with each other or like react to each other. It's really, it's totally sporadic. Like if my, my beginning scores always look bizarre because it's just like random, she folds the letter and people are like, what does that even mean? (laughs) I know what it means. For some reason, she's got a letter in her hand and she's going to fold it in this moment, you know? So it's very, yeah, it's a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I start going through the score in a more detailed manner. The first time, so first time is very like, rough go through the whole thing second I is still rough but a little bit more detailed with that I'll give myself I write like a a goal list of how many pages I want to achieve in a day and then I write down each hour how many pages I have done mm-hmm. so if I'm like I want to do 70 pages today usually it takes about an hour for 10 pages if it's the quick process So that means I can think, okay, that means I've got seven hours of work ahead of me. And then I check every hour if I've managed to do the 10 pages or not. Then I go into much more detail and then it doesn't really matter to me how long I spend on each page or each section or each character or whatever. But I definitely have a process of kind of big, rough to much, much smaller and more detailed. That's kind of my job as a director in a day. If I'm rehearsing, it's very much like the rehearsals for a staff director slash assistant director. So I'm going to tell you that. So when I'm rehearsing, my day is dependent on the working hours of the opera house that I'm working at. So, for example, in Frankfurt, we rehearse three hours in the morning and three hours in the evening. Um, so my day will be from like, so we'll do like 10 to 1 and then, you know, I don't know, 7 to 10 it's very odd or it was odd at the beginning and i have noticed that other german opera houses do it as well and i think it has to do with the union where what they've done is they've asked employers or like of in theaters and opera houses to have a six hour slot minimum six hour slot between each rehearsal so that for example parents can if the rehearsal starts at 10 and you're a parent, you know, you have time in the morning to see your kids, whatever, take your kids to school. And then if you finish work at one, and you don't have to rehearse until seven again, you can then, you know, pick up your kids from school, spend time with them, have dinner with them, and then go to work, which is nice for parents. I do have to say it kind of is weird for people who aren't parents, or like, it's odd, because you have totally different like sociable hours. (laughs) So you can't be like, Hi, group of friends that doesn't work in the opera. Um, Why don't we all go for a drink? I can't do that because I work until 10. So I'll show up at 10. So it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit weird, but sometimes it's really good because you then still have energy between rehearsals so that you can kind of work in between rehearsals if you have anything that you need to prepare for the next rehearsal. Um, I don't know, prepare for the next day or you want to clean up your score or something. You do still have the energy to do that, which... From experience working six hours straight after that you're pretty pooped so there's no chance really of of cleaning your school or your flat even or anything you're just totally tired (laughs) so there's pros and cons to that but yeah so usually you rehearse six hours a day in two three hour blocks but it doesn't it doesn't really stop there so as an assistant i mean also as a director You don't you don't just leave rehearsals. You stop thinking about the show and you return to regular life because you don't really have a regular life. Your brain is constantly thinking about future projects or other projects or things you still need to fix for tomorrow and things like that. As an assistant, you know, it's easier to switch off in a way because you it's not your personal idea that's happening on stage. It's someone else's. So it doesn't really I was going to say haunt, but it doesn't really haunt you. It just, you know, it just lives with you. Um, But it doesn't really live with you as much. But as an assistant, you do kind of become the confidant and kind of source of communication to the Opera House for the creative team. So a lot of my job outside of rehearsals is kind of still being in contact with the team and, I don't know, organising different props for the next day or changing rehearsal schedules or things like that
0: that's so super interesting like I didn't know about these hours and it's so interesting when
1: I I when I came here I was like this is weird like why why are we rehearsing (laughs) because my first kind of professional professional job as an assistant was in Vienna and they do six hours straight Mm -hmm. so I was used to that and then when I began working in Germany in different places I really I'm like this is really weird why are we doing this
0: <laughs> and you found the source but it's also yeah. really good to hear it from you that you know that process before rehearsals and that you sit down with the script and have to de- like you're basically bringing the words and the music to life and I think yeah. we forget that as actors we come in and we're like okay there's a director they're going to yeah. tell us what to do or like help us evolve but like yeah I think we don't realize how much you put in before the process even starts so so nice to hear yes (laughs) (laughs) and you've obviously worked in different countries
1: in yeah you've worked in Austria Germany and England yes yes I also did a show in Abu Dhabi Europe and Abu Dhabi great (laughs) (laughs) I used to live there for seven years oh I didn't know (laughs) that yeah that's so cool we performed at the Emirates Palace was so exciting in the auditorium. It was really exciting. It was it's like grand. It, we were only there for five days. It was like a, a half, like a half-staged concert, but it was like the most lavish five days of my entire life. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit of like your different experiences in different countries then directing? Yeah. So I haven't worked in the, in America, but I believe the UK and America have the same system. In I'm going to just keep saying the UK, but you know what I mean. So in the UK, <laughs> you have ASMs, so assistant, sorry, assistant stage managers, stage managers, assistant directors, mm-hmm. kind of always in the room. And you have the assistant stage managers and stage managers that give the cues <clears throat> and kind of reset the stage and everything or kind of run to get a prop or whatever. This is not the case in Germany. So in, I'm going to start with in Germany. In Germany... You are in charge of everything. You have to give entrance and exit cues. You have to make sure all the props are there. You know, I literally show up to every rehearsal an hour early because I'm like, I have to make sure everything's here. It's so, ah. and then if something isn't there, you then have to like try and wake someone up or find someone to quickly supply you with whatever you need. And um, so it's always important for me to just be there early. So yeah, you give entrance exit cues, um, make sure props are there. You have to make sure everything is set before the rehearsal starts you kind of do the job of an ASM, SM and AD all at the same time. Your job is basically to make sure that the piece is meticulously documented because a lot of the time... So for example, Frankfurt is a repertoire house, which means that you know every other night there's a different show on, which means sets get taken down, get put up again, blah, blah, blah. And you have to know exactly who is doing what when and you always have to think ahead. <laughs> so you every move in a way... Is calculated and thought out. Let's let's take my letter example from earlier, which <laughs> was a wonderful example. <laughs> so, if someone were to fold a letter, usually that is done, or something like a lot of the movements are obviously kind of accentuated through the music. Therefore, you want a certain move to happen at a certain point
0: mm-hmm. in the
1: music. You then have to follow the music, and then you write down at this point this person turns to the left. Or at this point, this person grabs the other person's throat. Or at this point, this person folds a letter or is writing a letter or tears up the letter or anything. So it's really, you know, it's a lot. It takes a while to get used to at the beginning, as in like the beginning of your career. But once you find your own routine and you find what works for you when you're writing a score, it's fine. And it's actually really interesting because as a director, when you're directing something because it's your idea and because you have thought of how this person should move or you've collaborated with your performer to figure out what this movement or action or whatever should be you can watch it non you can watch the show or the piece non-stop and know exactly what was wrong but if you're an assistant and it's not an internalized idea for example So, you know, I didn't come up with the idea that the director told that person to strangle the other or whatever. That then makes it more difficult for me to just watch the show and know exactly what's wrong all the time. You kind of get used to it through rehearsals. Obviously, you know what is important to the director. So if the same person keeps forgetting to pick up this glass at this point, then it becomes internalized in you because that person will be like, Oh, why isn't he doing it? And you're like, oh, I, can't, I don't know. I'll tell him um, you know, it's like that then becomes internalized, but then writing everything down that helps obviously internalize it. And mm-hmm. it's really important to, as an assistant to keep a really beautiful, meticulous score, which I love because I love lists, love highlighters, love stickers. I, have a, I like this. It's my dream. And In opera, usually, the director leaves the process once the show has premiered. Oh. So you then, as the assistant, are in charge of the production, and it's your duty to make sure that each performance runs well and that the cast are doing what they're supposed to be doing, that the set piece is moving at this point and it was done right, and if anything's wrong, you you then give notes. So you kind of then take on the role of the director in a way. Um, And additionally, if there's any like jump ins or cast changes, you then have to instruct and direct this new cast member according to the original staging. And as a staff director, I'm also in charge of reviving productions. So that means that you kind of become the director and direct a production that already exists, but you get a different cast. So last season we had a wonderful production called man on let go and then this season I had to revive it and I was had a totally new cast or for the most part a totally new cast and then had to like teach them the moves when you then become a rival director you don't di- as I said you direct a production that kind of already exists and you have to direct it in the style of the original staging or the original direction so that's when you realize how important it is to keep a detailed score because if you did a show last year or even two years ago or three years ago you haven't looked at your score in that many years and then you start rehearsals again and you prep and you don't know what you wrote then you're in a little bit of trouble because you kind of need to understand what's happening yeah brilliant
0: Is there a reason why you fell into directing operas particularly? Yes.
1: When I was studying, I think, yeah, I was still doing my bachelor's degree. I did an internship slash observership actually at Opera Frankfurt. And I was interning on a production of Hansel and Gretel, Aww. which is a beautiful opera. I love it so much. And the director, who is called Keith Warner, is British. And we got along really well, mainly because he has like, he has a really good sense of humor and it's very British, very dark. But like I was in stitches most of the time and we just, yeah, we just got along really well. He's a very, you know, close friend now. So I started, so I chose to do this internship because I thought, okay, well, during my studies, I've done theatre, I've studied Musical theater, but like I don't really know opera, as in like how opera rehearsals work. And I was actually more interested in how opera, like rehearsals, vary from other rehearsals, like from let's say like straight theater rehearsals. So yeah, that's how I came to this internship, and I think it also has a lot to do with Keith Warner, just because he is a very, a very good director, one of the top. Like he's just great, and he really. opened my eyes to the fact that opera can isn't just the stereotypical um, people standing around in big old-fashioned costumes and just singing which obviously I had seen some operas before but when you're younger like really young and it's not really your thing you don't really get it I don't know obviously we're all affected by stereotypes and yeah I, I, I also believed opera was like so boring and everyone just stands around and sings and like everyone's fat and everyone's like you know (laughs) what I mean like uh and everyone just like sings really high notes and their faces turn red or something I don't know um so the very like childish stereotype and Keith really opened my eyes in a way to show me that you know opera can be so much more and most of the time like 99% of the time isn't people standing around in old costumes singing like that's just like no yeah and he kind of taught i don't know just obs- i mean observing him kind of just taught me or was my first experience realizing that the music in itself is like a secret narrator or like a secret character that can just like reveal secret intentions or 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 heighten an emotion or watching him taught me to use this like a score as like a musical map mm-hmm. because you know composers didn't just write music like oh this sounds nice like there's a reason for everything and I don't know it sounds so obvious now it sounds really dumb but it really yeah opened my eyes and and yeah and and he's a fantastic director and really gets people to act beautifully and I thought oh my gosh (laughs) this is amazing (laughs) whoa I love it and when I was younger I also studied classical singing and I always loved kind of like classical music and that love or passion had kind of become a little bit dormant Mm -hmm. and then I was working on this opera or uh observing on this opera and it kind of just like came out again and I was like wow it's so beautiful I love it I have to like again another moment where I'm like I found it like this is what I want to do
0: beautiful and do you have any things that you would like to say about adapting to corona rehearsals
1: (laughs) oh for sure I have so (laughs) much to say um, no, it's definitely been a challenging time, of course, as we all know. At first, we were f- in Germany, we were fully locked down, which meant that all rehearsals and productions were cancelled or postponed. And then when we started to rehearse again, we had to follow specific guidelines and rules, such as uh, when a singer sings, there has to be a distance of seven metres in the direction of singing. So that's like, You know how our social distance is like, you have to be two meters apart. No, when someone is singing, you have to be seven meters apart. Wow. In the direction of singing. And then three meters either side of the singer in order to obviously ensure everyone's safety. So there's reasons for these rules. So that's good. That's really difficult, obviously. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This also applies to the distance of the singers to the orchestra because the orchestra sit in front in the pit so you need a massive um, stage it's not nu- it's really nuts so f- most of the productions here was solved solved that problem by just moving the entire set back seven meters okay which seemed really far away but you can fix it with lighting by not by keeping the light away from the seven meter gap mm-hmm. if you know what i mean so you kind of just direct the audience's eye away from the fact that there's such a big distance but I had to revive a production of *Man on the as I was saying earlier I ended up having to restage the entire thing in order to make sure all the performers were at least seven meters away from the orchestra when singing because the set has these like Four huge letters on stage, it spells out love. And then at the top, there's like a roof, like a platform that would lower... So in the first act, it served as a roof. And in the second act, it hinged downwards. And on the top surface of this platform was like a nightclub or like a huge set of stairs. And this massive platform, A, obviously weighs a ton because you're basically hanging an entire set of in the flies. And also is so big that you can't move it back by seven meters. So you can't move the letters back by seven meters, which basically meant just had to restage the entire thing. (laughs) Take away seven meters playing space at the front. So everyone kind of had to stay at the back. The good thing about that set though, is that it's so vast and so huge and uses up the entirety of the stage, which is actually massive that the seven meter difference didn't really make that much of it, like it wasn't that horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, had to take away, a few, so in the first act, there was like a cafe scene and the, they had loads and loads of ch- tables and chairs all the way down to the front of the stage. And I had to take away some of them because like you can't have anyone sat there because they're too close to the orchestra. Also couldn't have the chorus on stage, which was a little bit stressful <laughs> because mm-hmm. chorus. the chorus is allowed to sing on stage if they're wearing masks, or if you find a solution that everyone is seven meters apart from each other, which is basically impossible with a group of 40 to 50 people. So they can be on stage if they're wearing a mask, but they have to have, if they're wearing a mask, they have to have a two meter radius around them. In this show, there were originally 40 something chorus members, which obviously if you think 40 something chorus members with a two meter radius around them is basically, takes up the entire stage and it's impossible. Then we halved the chorus, but with the seven meters that were taken away, it still was basically impossible because this production is very naturalistic, realistic. The acting, it's very like modern, it's very modern time. It's basically like looking into a mirror of the world. And it looked really odd that every time the chorus sang, who last year were they they play like pedestrians or part of this town, that every time they sang, they had to like go into this weird formation and it looked like everyone's involved in some sort of cult or something. I don't know. And I was like, no, we can't do this. So I had to put them behind the stage, and then the sound department had to basically relay the sound from behind the stage into the auditorium. It was nuts. This entire production was absolutely insane. Like, it, oh, it was it was just crazy. Um, I mean, also the staging obviously suffers, regardless of the fact that I had to change everything. Also, you know, the, the story is about two, in a nutshell, like very broad, it's about two lovers. Many other things happen, but <laughs> the purpose of this point, it's about two lovers. Um, and, you know, the staging suffers immensely when you have to follow these rules, because, you know, two lovers can't touch they can't kiss can't Mm. sing to each other they can't do anything unless they're, you know they can't sing to each other unless they're stood seven meters apart from each other it's very bizarre so I ended up having to kind of also change the characters and their desires and their beliefs and you know in order to make it somewhat believable to the audience what I also did was include or kind of re- stage it or how do I say that like put it into modern time so I actually had it reset in corona times just to kind of make it a little bit more believable slash a little bit more understanding as to why people aren't touching each other which actually worked really well um and I think the audience we only had one performance unfortunately because then we were put back into lockdown but I'm glad we had one performance because the entire house all the departments put so much work into this production if it had never been seen i think we would all have had a mental breakdown yeah so at least it was shown once <laughs> no that's really cool how you
0: adapted it and like went through it you know like it's a new piece of yeah. theater
1: <laughs> yeah and we've also started so The Opera House has started. I mean, we've obviously had to adapt to these changes because of Corona. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we've been, we were put back in lockdown. And the last, I think actually the last time we performed anything was that production that I just spoke about in Mm -hmm. October, end of October, 1st of November, something like that. So we've had to stop performances since then and most rehearsals again. So we were rehearsing. I actually revived another show in in that time but that show never was shown because we weren't allowed to perform. But it may come again, so who knows? But we, you know, we've had to come up with new ways of reaching our audiences. So we've started doing live stream concerts from different places in the opera house. These places are places that the audience is familiar with. So for example, the auditorium or the uh, foyer where everyone meets in the interval. And by doing that, we're kind of hoping to show that we miss our audiences. Like, it's not just a play, it's not just like, oh, look at this beautiful place in the Opera House, but it's like, look at this beautiful, beautiful place in the Opera House where you, the audience, are missing. So, very sweet. So, we've started doing these live streams, and I have been in charge of directing these live streams, which has been a whole new experience for me. Before this, I had literally never screen directed, I had no idea what to do. It's like, it's just a whole different way of thinking. It's totally fascinating, but like I have never thought, oh, at this moment I want to see this person from this angle, and then I want to switch and see this person from this angle. Or I want to see a wide I like a wide shot. I've never had to think like that before. So it's it's kind of been fun. It's been very exciting, totally fascinated by the whole process. And it's also, you know, a totally new way of thinking as a director and also a new way of portraying opera. Yeah, you got a new skill there again. <laughs> Another one. Um, no, it's been uh, it's been really crazy, actually. But it's been it's been fun.
0: Uh, we're coming towards the end of the interview, and I've got a few questions that I always ask. Yes. Um, the first one is: In your opinion, what unites us as creatives?
1: Our passion, hundred percent. Mm. And dedication, like our dedication into nurturing our passion. I think that's very special about people that work in the arts industry because it's not always easy. It's not always a super easy, like quick success story, but we still all stay in this because it's our real passion. Mm. Like we're following and dedicating our lives to our passion. And I think that is something that unites everyone who is a creative. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and what is the biggest thing that you have learned on your journey? Can I say two? Although the two are kind of one. Okay. You can say two. <laughs> Thank you. Although they're kind of related. I think it's the same thing. Right. Number one, don't be afraid to fall on your face. It's natural. That is life. Leading on from that, <laughs> um, some this is like really specific but it's something that really irks me to the core. You are respected more if you just admit to a mistake, than try to cover it up or blame it on someone else. Things like, I don't know, if you're an assistant and someone asks you to get a, I don't know, get a prop and you forgot to get it, then just say, oh, I'm so sorry. I forgot to get, I'm so sorry. My fault. I forgot to get a prop. So much time is wasted. I feel like <laughs> I'm going in a rash. So much time is wasted when people try and push blame upon other people even with performers um not everyone you know there's good eggs bad eggs but you know there's been a few times when i don't know a performer is tired or or and and obviously because we're working long hours every day and you and they mess something up and then instead of saying oh i'm so sorry i've just had like it's just not my day today so sorry like we, I, I'll be better tomorrow or whatever when I've slept it's just not my day that would just save everyone so much time but sometimes not everyone there are people who admit to that but sometimes people are like oh well the conductor was giving me the wrong signal like I was confused or oh I don't understand your idea anyway and then you have people that argue and argue and argue and you're just like please stop like can we just admit continue it's fine And it's just like my absolute pet peeve when people do that, because I just Mm -hmm. think, own up to it. We're all human. We all have bad days. And like, most importantly for me, honest and truthful people, in my opinion, are the most respected people. I respect you so much more if you say, oh God, I'm so sorry, messed up, whatever, or so sorry, I forgot that or blah, 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 than just either trying to hide it by just pointing fingers I hate pointing fingers don't do
0: it <laughs> listen to this don't point fingers but it is do it. it does save up yeah. so much time so much unnecessary like there doesn't need to be more drama in a drama piece yeah
1: and it's so, just you know if you've forgotten something or you've messed something up like that's fine mm, we're not it's perfect. human
0: <laughs> yeah yeah brilliant and then this is my favorite question
1: oh gosh What makes you unique as a creative? Honestly, I find it a little bit hard to answer that question. Not because I don't believe, like, in my craft. I think I am, you know, I'm talented, I work hard, you know, I'm someone who kind of offers up my life for my art and the art of others. But I know that there's so many other people out there who are just as talented, work just as hard, if not more, or differently, or, you know... Some people might think it's better. Some people might think it's worse. It's a very, you know, subjective thing. I think in the end, your journey is determined by the people you meet and the opportunities you are given. Everyone is unique as a creative because no idea that you have will have been du- like no one will have been duplicated. Do you know what I mean? So, I have an idea. You have an idea. They're different. They might be similar in some ways, but you know, everyone. I think everyone is unique as a creative. That might be very cheesy, but we're all unique. Yes, love that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is there anything else you would like to tell the listeners before we say our goodbyes today?
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) Always be honest in your thoughts and your beliefs. Um, I think it's much more interesting and exciting to work with people who aren't afraid to question my ideas or who want to discuss and learn more about what my concept is Um, I think that's much more interesting than people who just say yes because they want to please you it kind of links to what I said earlier but you know just stay true to yourself the best directing moments or the best moments in a rehearsal process for me come from an intellectual collaboration with your performers Mm -hmm. that's is where you get the best that's how you get the best performances out of people
0: amazing thank you so much that's such a lovely one to finish off on
1: oh
0: i'm (laughs) glad it it was lovely hearing your journey today and thank you so much for coming on and for your time and for sharing it with us
1: oh thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure
0: i hope you've enjoyed this episode Artist Avenue will be back next Tuesday with another exciting interview. Make sure to follow us on social media and keep up to date with all the artists and their wonderful projects. Your support for this podcast honestly means the world to me. For now, keep smiling, keep listening, and I'll see you all next week.